Dr. Alan Duffy is a research fellow at the University of Melbourne, creating baby universes with supercomputers and watching galaxies form inside them. To ground his ego after these acts of creation, he tries to tell everyone he can find about science, from school kids to pub goers, in a YouTube series called Pint in the Sky with Dr. Katie Mack. He can be found on Twitter at AstroDuff, A-S-T-R-O-D-U-F-F. -F. Um, Alan Duffy. Thank you for the introduction. I'm here to speak to you tonight about a legendary figure in astronomy. A man with such dedication and, and diligence to the noble art of 18th century stargazing that he was brought to the edge of sanity, financial ruin, and ultimately over the edge and into death. This is a story of Guillaume Joseph Hyacinth Jean-Baptiste Le Gentil de la Galaisiea, <laughs> or Le Gentil for short. He was born 1725 and died 1792. He was a scientist of breathtaking tenacity, pursuing the science in the face of all odds. And I hope that his is a lesson that you will all learn well. Our tale begins in 1760 on the verge of the first ever globe-spanning scientific endeavor. 120 astronomical teams are poised to travel across to the far reaches of the globe to measure the passage of the planet Venus in front of the sun, an event we call a transit. So why all the interest? If you're in line with Venus and the sun as it moves across, you'll see Venus just passed in the middle of the sun. But if you're in a different place on Earth, if you're, say, near the North Pole, you're looking down, and by projection, you'll see that planet transiting across the bottom bit of the sun. And if you're in the South Pole, vice versa, you'll see it move across the top. And using some basic trigonometry, you can actually get the exact distance between the Earth and the sun. And there, there are no rulers in space. This is it. This, is, this was the holy grail for astronomy. This was incredibly exciting. So really, yeah, there were a lot of people wanting this result. So where does Le Gentil, our hero, come into this? Well, he'd gone over an earlier passing interest in religion in actually wanting to become a priest, and instead had joined France's Royal Academy of Science. And it was to his surprise and joy that he was actually selected to lead one of these expeditions, actually a solo expedition, leadership nonetheless, <laughs> off to the French colony of Pondicherry in India to observe this passage. Now, one could think that perhaps God was a little bit miffed about maybe choosing science over religion. And for any of you who know the story of Jonah, it's probably not a good idea to go on a long boat journey when the big man is annoyed with you. In any case, Le Gentil boarded a boat in Brest, in France, to the French colony of Pondicherry on 16th of March, 1760. And actually, initially, it went well. He made good time, he made Mauritius in basically three, four months. And that's unfortunately 
pretty much the last time he had any good luck. From that point, it all goes downhill. France and England had declared war on each other in the meantime, and his, friend, his boat could go no further east. It was a war zone in India. And he was stranded there for several months until eventually a French naval frigate was passing by. He was able to get on, and they were able to try and journey again. Now, at this point, he only had a few months left until the transit. He had to set up his equipment, had to get ready for it. So it was with some trepidation that he asked the frigate captain, would they make it in time? Now, bearing in mind this was the monsoon season and they were going to India, the captain had a fair display of nautical bluster to say that, yeah, sure, they'd be fine, it'd be grand. Predictably, the next five weeks, they get hammered by winds every which direction, taking them all over the Arabian Sea and the Indian Ocean. And Le Gentil, our hero, is frantic on board. They finally get close to India, finally getting close to where he can start to observe the transit. And the French captain learns, we've lost Pondicherry. Those dastardly English, Leros beef, have taken, have seized the city. So what else could he do? His mission was over. He had to turn back with a certain upset astronomer still on board. And sure enough, as they were traveling back to Mauritius on the 6th of June, 1761, there, Le Gentil was able to see Venus pass in front of the sun from a rocking ship which meant he couldn't set up his telescope, which meant he missed the transit. After 18 months of effort, he'd missed it. Now, it just so happens that even though transits are rare, they happen typically only once a century, they happen in pairs, about eight years apart. So Le Gentil, after, somewhat understandably, after such a horrifying journey, decided not to chance the ship again, and instead just sit and wait. Wait in essentially Mauritius where the frigate dropped him off and wait for the next eclipse. And he whiled away the next few years undertaking you know, productive science as he put it, to make all observations are good on geography, natural history, physics, astronomy, navigation, winds and tides. I have to forgive me, my French isn't very good, sorry. <laughs> Fast forward a few years. We're getting close to this second eclipse. Now, obviously, Le Gentil had had a bit of a bad experience with Pondicherry, so he decided, I'm going to go to another destination, the perfect destination, Manila, which unfortunately was ruled by the Spanish at this point. In any case, Le Gentil went across to Manila, almost instantly running afoul of local bureaucratic nightmares, the outright hostility of the local governor. And not without reason, because a Frenchman had rocked up with all of this very dodgy, very high-powered optics gears to, uh, well, as the governor thought, spy. And indeed, he actually thought Le Gentil was a spy by the end, and Le, G Le Gentil had to flee for his life on board a Portuguese ship, just off into the sea. So that was a bust. Now, he was obviously getting a bit miffed. He'd spent some six or seven years now away from France trying to hunt for this transit. And at this point, the English and the French declared peace. And in the peace treaty, the English returned 
the original site, Pondicherry, to France. So the French government said, well, why don't you stick to the original plan, go to India, go to Pondicherry, and observe the transit from there. And as is actually incredible, bearing in mind this story, he did, he got there. He actually managed to finally get to Pondicherry a mere eight years since he actually left France. Now, he was warmly welcomed by the governor. In actual fact, they, f they threw a feast in his honor. So obviously things were beginning to look up. He built an observatory. He was able to take some astronomical observations, discovered a number of galaxies. And he learned a lot, in fact, about Indian astronomy and really demonstrated to the West what an incredible amount of knowledge uh, the Indian astronomers had accrued uh, over the last centuries. And in fact, he was in such a good mood, he even entertained the governor with views of Jupiter the night before, the eve of the transit, Jupiter and, and his moons. And he went to bed. So it was with some dismay, but I hope to no one's surprise here, that when he awoke, it was to a sky blanketed with clouds. In his own words, I felt doomed. I threw myself upon the bed. Now to his mounting horror, the clouds actually continued to thicken and yes, completely blocked out the transit. Now just for a laugh actually, they cleared just after the transit, which is <laughs> And just for added kicks, the site in Manila was perfect that entire day. So. And as a journal entry, surprisingly lacking in swearing, he wrote, excuse the French, that is the fate that often awaits astronomers. I had gone more than 10,000 leagues. It seemed that I had crossed such a great expanse of seas, exiling myself from my native land, only to be the spectator of a fatal cloud which came to place itself before the sun at the precise moment of my observation. Now, by all accounts, this actually quite unhinged the young astronomer. And his return to France was delayed for several weeks as he recuperated. <laughs> at, at which point you got dysentery, which, <laughs> which just feel, seems entirely unnecessary as a final ignominy for him to suffer. He eventually left France, and then he got hit by a hurricane. <laughs> and was stranded on Reunion Island. And ultimately, it would be a Spanish festival, vessel which would take him home. And finally, he arrived on French soil. 11 years, six months, and 13 days after he left, having missed the only two transits in his lifetime. So you might imagine at least, if not a celebration, at least some kind of warm welcome, a commiseration. Unfortunately, he came back broken in health and spirit and discovered that his employers at the Royal Academy of Science had actually legally declared him dead. <laughs> Albeit with a nice epitaph on the grave, which read, he had acted to encourage and protect the spirit of the French scientific research. You know, so that felt nice. Actually, unfortunately, it gets a little bit worse because he was dead, so his wife had by this point remarried. 
his relatives had divided up his estate amongst themselves. And incredibly, everyone just seemed to be a little bit annoyed that he was still alive. <laughs> and actually, he was embroiled in a series of lawsuits for years until the king of France himself stepped in to rectify the situation. So what moral tales are there for us tonight? Well, the number one rule would be, stop me if you've heard it, publish or perish. <laughs> or at the very least, let your supervisor know what you've been doing this last decade <laughs> or find yourself legally declared dead. <laughs> Don't neglect your private life in the pursuit of science. You might not have a partner who's going to wait a decade before you next write to her. Finally, unless you happen to know a king, don't turn your back on your family, especially when you're sitting staring down a telescope or a microscope. Just a word of advice. So next time you complain about some onerous task that your boss or supervisor has got you doing, just bear in mind the efforts that Le Gentil went to to try to get his science done in the face of overwhelming odds and misfortune. But as I said, he was only legally declared dead. He wasn't actually. So his story isn't quite over. I'm sure he would have been happy to know that in the years since, his story has actually been made into a play and has enjoyed some success in the last few decades. For an unlucky astronomer, he'd actually discovered a number of important galaxies and objects in the sky. And happily, he remarried. He had a daughter. And by all accounts, his new family helped him to overcome the horrors of this scientific expedition. So for this tale, I guess you could say he lived happily ever after.